0: The first reading is from Acts chapter five. It's this: uh, is the earliest Jesus community filled with the Holy Spirit, doing incredibly powerful and wonderful signs as a demonstration of Christ's authority over the universe. Now, many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles, and they were all gathered. To, they were all together in Solomon's portico, which is uh, in the temple. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. But the high priest rose up and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, And filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Second reading is from Revelation chapter 1. This is our introduction. This is John's vision of Jesus uh, sitting on the throne here and the beginning of the message he has for the churches in Revelation 1. Behold, he's coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation, in the kingdom, in the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, Write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum and to Thyatira and to Sardis and to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands and in the midst of the lamp stands one, like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white like wool, as white as snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun, shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last, and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Holy Gospel according to St. John, the 20th chapter. Glory Glory to you, you, O Lord. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit If you forgive the sins of anyone, they are forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness from anyone, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We've seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. And although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. And put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise, Praise to you, O Christ. Lord. Let's talk about the gospel reading, and uh, there's, there's lots of good stuff that we can save for later because uh, this is actually the gospel reading for the Sunday after Easter every year in the church calendar. And it's a really good one. I mean, uh, it's it's so full of good stuff. Thomas's confession. So it's easy to pick on Thomas because Thomas doubts, right? But Thomas's confession that Jesus, he calls Jesus my Lord and my God. He's the first one who he's the first one who actually calls Jesus. He calls him my God. For for a guy, for a Jewish man to look at another Jewish man. Who he's known for several years and say, You are my God. It's, it's mind blowing, but we're not going to talk about that this morning. Let's we'll talk about the first few verses, uh, verses 19 through 23. Starts off on the evening of that day, the first day of the week. The doors were being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And then, then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Okay, so here we have a little bit of a problem. This might be a touch pedantic, but let's do this. It's going to get us to a good spot, I think. Receive the Holy Spirit, he says to them. Now, a little bit later, he's going to tell them, this is the beginning of the book of Acts, he's going to say, I want you guys, right before he ascends back to his father, he says, I want you guys to wait here in Jerusalem until I send you the Holy Spirit. And after that, I'm going to make you my witnesses here in Jerusalem and in Judea, Samaria, the utmost parts of the world. So he's, he's breathing on them and giving them the Holy Spirit now, saying, receive the Holy Spirit. But then it's not until Acts 2 that Pentecost happens. What's up with that? Okay, so what we need to do, To think about this problem is to think about how the Holy Spirit works in the Old Testament, and in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit's in the Old Testament. Start right at the very beginning. In fact, the first couple verses, the Spirit of God is hovering on the face of the waters. It's not like the the Old Testament. The New Testament is the Holy Spirit section. In the Old Testament, it's not. He's all over the place. There's basically a couple things that I want to talk about this morning. The Holy Spirit does in the Old Testament. In the first. Try and keep both these things in mind. The first is spiritual gifts. The Holy Spirit gives spiritual gifts to people. But in the Old Testament, when the Holy Spirit gives you a spiritual gift, it's typically temporary. It's for a specific task, like some mighty thing that needs to be done or some vision that the prophet needs to have. And it's, it's not universal. Only specific people get these gifts of the Holy Spirit. Usually, kings, prophets, the important people, right? These are the ones who get the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. Let me give you a couple examples. One is, this is a famous one, Uh, Saul. Saul was the first king of Israel, right? So Israel asked for a king, and and Samuel says to God, you know, so you hear them asking for a king, what are you going to do? And God says to Samuel, I've got somebody picked out, and you'll know him when you see him. Saul is traipsing around the countryside looking for his dad's donkeys, which have gotten out and have run away. And he and his friend decide, let's go to this seer guy, this Samuel guy, give him a little bit of money. They've got a little bit of silver on them and see if if we pay him. He can like look into the future and tell us where our donkeys are. And so they go see Samuel and Samuel is not interested in the donkeys. He says, "Just, just let the donkeys go. Don't worry about that. They're okay. Meanwhile, you have been chosen to be the hope of Israel. You are the new king. And when he says that, something special happens to Saul. It's from 1 Samuel 10. As Saul turned to leave Samuel, God changed Saul's heart. And all these signs were fulfilled that day. And when he and his servant arrived at Gibeah, a procession of prophets met him. And the Spirit of God, listen to this, the Spirit of God came powerfully upon Saul. And he joined in their prophesying. So Saul's a believer in God beforehand. But now God has chosen Saul for this specific task of being the new king of Israel. And in order to accomplish this task, God gives him a heavy dose of the Holy Spirit, which he has until God's done with him because he rebels. So in 1 Samuel 15, David is anointed because Saul has disobeyed the Lord. David is anointed uh, to be the new king of Israel. And almost immediately, the very first part of uh, 1 Samuel 16. Now the spirit of the Lord, this is verse 14. Now the Spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul. So, specific task. The Holy Spirit comes upon Saul for this specific task, and when the task is over, he's gone. We see this with the prophets a lot, that uh, the Spirit of the Lord uh, gives this vision to Isaiah, for instance. And then Isaiah doesn't walk around with this vision all the time. The vision is specific. It's episodic. He writes it down, or he preaches it, and somebody else writes it down. And then he lives his normal life. Another quick example, Samson. Samson's not a prophet uh, in the sense that he's receiving these incredible visions from God. He's not a holy man. He's uh, the opposite of a holy man, actually. He's not a king, but he's going to be a judge, not in a legal sense. Like some of the judges are legal judges, like Jephthah, uh, 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 um, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Deborah is a legal judge. She passes judgment on people. Samson doesn't do that. But Samson has a task. His task is primarily military. He's going to fight Philistines. And in order to do this, the Spirit of the Lord comes upon him. And so frequently it's said about Samson, uh, you know, he's tied up, and then the Spirit of the Lord comes on him, and he bursts out of his bonds. But he doesn't always have the Spirit of the Lord. It comes and it goes. Now, spiritual gifts. Second thing, though, is that the people in the Old Testament— so if I say that, if I say that not everybody in the Old Testament gets the Holy Spirit for these spiritual gifts, it doesn't mean that not everybody was saved. The Holy Spirit comes upon every believer, true believer in God in the Old Testament to save them. Now I'm going to read this extended quote to you from Isaiah chapter 63, verses 7 through 14, which talks about the Holy Spirit. So pay attention. I'll try to point out a few key things as we go through here. I will tell of the kindness of the Lord. Isaiah is saying, the deeds for which he is to be praised according to all the Lord has done for us. Yes, the many good things he's done for Israel according to his compassion and many kindnesses. God said, surely these are my people. Children will be true to me. And so he became their savior. In all their distress, he too was distressed. And the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and in his mercy, he redeemed them. He lifted them up and carried them all the days of old. Yet they rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit. So the people of Israel rebelled against God and grieved his Holy Spirit. So what's going on there? How can they grieve his Holy Spirit if they don't have his Holy Spirit, right? So the Holy Spirit, they have the Holy Spirit for redemption, this deliverance out of Egypt, as we'll see here in a second. Then his people recalled the days of old, the days of Moses and his people. So they're going to think about the Exodus. Where is he, they ask, who brought them through the sea with the shepherd of his flock? Where is he who set his Holy Spirit among them? Where is the where is the Lord who gave us his Holy Spirit to bring about this redemption out of Egypt? Who sent his glorious arm of power to be at Moses' right hand? Who divided the waters before them to gain for himself everlasting renown? Who led them through the depths? Like a horse in open country, they did not stumble. Like cattle that go down to the plain, they were given rest by the Spirit of the Lord. God's people in the wilderness saved by the Holy Spirit. I mean, this makes sense, right? I mean, the only way that you can come to know God is if our sinful hearts are reversed. And the only thing that can do that is the Holy Spirit. It's true now. It had, to be, it had to have been true then. Isaiah outlines that, that redemption, provision, all these things came through the Holy Spirit. So everybody had the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, but not for spiritual gifting, weirdly enough. So we think about the Holy Spirit. For, for those of us who are Christians, when you think of the Holy Spirit, you think of, the one who saves you, the one who turns your heart towards God, but you also thank the one who empowers you to do good works to live in the body of Christ. they actually didn 't have that in the Old Testament except for periodically big people had them the important the VIPs got them every once in a while for specific tasks um, okay, so basically, just to sum up, the Old Testament has this moment where this uh, uh, era where people are saved by the Holy Spirit, but they don't have the Holy Spirit for spiritual gifting, but it looks forward to a day when everybody will get the Holy Spirit for spiritual gifts. The Old Testament sees that in the future, it's not just going to be the kings and the important people that get this. It's going to be everybody. Let me read this specific prophecy to you from Joel chapter 2 of everybody, not just uh, prophets, generals getting the Holy Spirit. Afterward, Joel, God is saying through Joel. And afterward, so in the latter days, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Not just your kings, not just your prophets, not your, just your generals, but your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will I will pour out my spirit in those days. And then it goes on to say, everybody who calls on the name of the Lord is going to be saved. But the Holy Spirit will not be given to a specific gender. It will be given to men and women. It will not be given to a specific socioeconomic class. It will be given to servants as well. Everybody's going to get the Holy Spirit in that day. Okay. So what does that do? What does that have to do with John chapter twenty? Let's go back and think about what Jesus is saying here when he when he breathes on the disciples and says, "Receive the Holy Spirit." What he's doing is something really, really similar to what happened to Saul, or to Samson, or to David, or to Isaiah, or to any Moses, anybody who received the Holy Spirit. It's it's before Pentecost. So, it's temporary, but not too temporary, because Pentecost is just going to happen in a week or so. It's specific to them, but only momentarily, because soon, in a couple of weeks, everybody's going to get the same gift of the Holy Spirit. It's not like this is some sort of, like, proto-Pentecost. It's God empowering the disciples here in John chapter 20 for a specific task, which soon in a few weeks, and we'll get to it when we celebrate Pentecost in a few weeks, we'll talk about this. Soon, will be something that belongs not just to the disciples, but to the whole body of Christ. All right, now let's talk about, now that we have the outline, let's talk about what is going on here. What is this spiritual gift good for in John chapter 20? All right, let's look at verses 21, 22, and 23. Let me point out a few things. First of all, with 22. and when he And when Jesus had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Okay, so first of all, first thing I want you to notice from this text is that the Holy Spirit comes from Jesus. The Holy Spirit is not a free agent. The Holy Spirit doesn't bounce around doing non-Jesus things. It's not like Jesus' job is to save you and the Holy Spirit's job is to do whatever you think might, the Holy Spirit's job might be. The Holy Spirit always works for Jesus. John 14 and John 16, Jesus says this. I'm gonna send the comforter. He's not gonna say anything on his own. He's not gonna do anything on his own. But what he sees and hears from me, he will show to you. And he will bring to your mind everything. In other words, he says, he's going to bring to your remembrance everything that I, Jesus, has said. The Holy Spirit works for Jesus. This is important because the Holy Spirit's task here is to empower them like he empowered Jesus. Look at verse 21. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. As the Father has sent me into the world, Jesus says, even so, now I'm sending you. and for, In order for you to go out and be what I was in the world, in order for you to go out and bring about the kingdom of God, in order for you, Christian church, to actually literally be the body of Christ, Christ himself in the world, you're going to need the Holy Spirit. So he breathes the Holy Spirit on them. They can't do this on their own. It's too much. You, you need superpowers to bring about the kingdom of God. You need superpowers to love everybody in all creation in the name of Jesus. It's, it's, it's supernatural. It can't be done without the Holy Spirit. Let's, let's talk later, not now, but let's talk later about what the mission of Jesus was. What was he accomplished? So kingdom of God is sort of a big picture, but that involved health of every kind, spiritual health, physical health, mental health, environmental health, the healing of storms and things like that. That's what Jesus is calling us to participate in his name by the power of the Holy Spirit to go on the mission that he was on originally, right? Now, I said this mission is difficult. In fact, it's almost impossible. Does anybody in here have the ability to heal a sick person? Does anybody in here have the ability to open your mouth and say words and unbelievers come to faith? Does anybody in here have the ability to heal the environment? No, this is why you need superpowers. Now, the superpower that you need, this might be a little bit, a tiny bit surprising. What is it that you need these superpowers for? Here, specifically in the test, it's a text. It's the hardest thing ever. It's, we definitely need superpowers for this because it's the most difficult thing to do in the name of Jesus. And that's forgive each other. Jesus says, look at verse 21 through 23, I'm sending you on mission as the Father sent me, so I send you. You're going to need the Holy Spirit because this is impossible. I breathe on you, receive the Holy Spirit. Here's why you need superpowers. Verse 23, because if you forgive the sins of anyone, they're forgiven. And if you withhold forgiveness from anyone, it's withheld. The task which will need the most super of supernatural powers is the task of forgiving sins, of forgiving each other. You know this. Those of you who have struggled with forgiving other people, you know that this is true. You maybe perhaps have thought at times, I wish that I had something easier to do, like curing somebody's blindness, or calming a storm, or taking huge chunks, uh, taking a little bit of bread and turning it into a huge meal. Why can't I have something easy to do like that instead of this, forgiving this person who I can't possibly in my heart forgive? That's why we need the Holy Spirit, because God has put the church on the mission of forgiving sins. So let me say two things about this, two different aspects. And one is the one that's kind of in front of your face every Sunday. So it's typically, and now it changes because we do different confessions and absolutions here in the service. But it's not infrequently that I say to you, after our confession, prayer of confession, I say, upon this your confession of faith, I by virtue of my office as a called and ordained servant of the word Announce the grace of God to you and in the stead and by the command of my Savior, Jesus Christ, I forgive you your sins in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. What gives me the right to say that? Isn't God alone? I mean, God alone has the authority to forgive sins. What gives me the right to say that? So let me say this. Yes, only God can forgive sins through Jesus. Nobody else can. That's true. But but the question is, How has God chosen to forgive those sins? And the answer is, look at verse 23. He's chosen to forgive those sins through his people. This this echoes Matthew chapter 18, where he basically says the same thing. I'm giving you, the church, the authority to forgive sins. And if you offer the forgiveness of sins, I'm right there with you. If you withhold the forgiveness of sins, I withhold them as well. And so I stand in front of you on Sunday mornings as the one who stands between you and God, as the one who represents you to God and as the one who represents God to you. And I offer you, and not because of me, I'm just a dude, but I offer you in the name of Jesus, the forgiveness of sins, because God has desired in his infinite wisdom to make the forgiveness of sins not merely conceptual, not something that when you lay down at night, you can hear in your head, you can say to yourself, you know what, the Bible says God forgives me and so I'm forgiven. That's true, that's totally true but he also makes it tangible. He makes it physical. The forgiveness of sins is this ugly guy. This, as Stacy pointed out this morning, this scruffy guy, embodies for you the forgiveness of sins. Not because I'm special, but because God commanded it to his church. I don't have the authority to forgive sins. Jesus does. But he has commanded me to forgive your sins if you repent in the name of Jesus. This is not, this is not, by the way, sometimes we stop there as Lutherans. Like, Apostles equals pastors. And so that's a pastor's job. But remember, the spiritual gifts after Pentecost are not just for the apostles. They're not just for the prophets. They're not just for the generals or the kings. They're for me and they're for you too. God has given the church the authority to forgive sins. He has empowered, he has breathed on you and said, receive the Holy Spirit. As the Father sent me, Jesus says, I'm sending you now, go forgive each other's sins. You are called to do that. It is the most powerful thing that you can do is to offer tangibly the forgiveness of sins to those around you, especially your loved ones. When you say to your spouse, when you say to your children, when you say to your friends, I forgive you when they confess that they've sinned against you. Jesus is saying that he himself, through your words, as a member of the body of Christ, Jesus himself is forgiving them. You're not just saying, oh, uh, it's okay. It's, you know, I, I'm a bad guy, you're a bad guy, let's just overlook it. There's a part of that when we forgive sins is recognizing that we're all sort of screwed up, so how can I hold your sin against you? But it goes deeper than that. It is Jesus offering your spouse, your friends, your kids, your parents, your neighbors, offering them the forgiveness of Himself through you. Does this make sense? God makes His forgiveness tangible. God makes His love for you tangible in the sacrament. He does the same thing. In this out loud forgiveness that you offer each other, you all need that. I need that. I need that just as much as just not, you know, so I'm a super pastor guy, right? Like I'm, like I'm super holy. I actually don't sin as much as you guys because I am a pastor. This is all I speak as a fool, right? I, I need your forgiveness. I need your forgiveness desperately. Let me tell you about something that happened this week. This is, I, this happened after I was preparing for this sermon. This this was not staged for your benefit. This is not sacred drama. It's actually uh, the Holy Spirit bringing about events for my humility, for my humbleness, and for your benefit, and for the glory of Jesus Christ and the forgiveness that he offers us freely. Last Sunday was Easter. You guys remember that, of course. Uh, Last Sunday, Angela said something to me, and uh, I perceived it as a slight wrongly, as a slight, and I snapped at her in a a cruel way that was designed to hurt her, that was designed to take the hurt that she gave me and turn it back on to her. If Cain is avenged sevenfold, Aaron Miller will be avenged 77-fold. I have crushed my wife for insulting me. This uh, This is the sort of thing that I was doing, right? Somebody overheard it. Uh, overheard me do that. And I got this email in the middle of this week. I'm going to read it to you. I got this email in the middle of this week. And uh, like I said, I was already already ironically and almost certainly self-righteously preparing this sermon, prepared to tell you about how you need the forgiveness of sins. When I got this email, I'm going to read part of it to you. The person who sent this email is okay with this. This is not a surprise to them, by the way. Here's what the email said. I'm quoting from the email now. Uh, This isn't necessarily comfortable for either of us, The person who's emailing, said it's not comfortable to like email your pastor and call him out for sinning. And I have no room to sit in the judgment seat. But I've been praying about if I should say something, and I think God is nudging me to do so as a brother in Christ and fellow sinner. And I hope our relationship is at a point that I can do this. I know, and now he's going to be generous and make excuses for me. I know that you were exhausted on Sunday, weren't feeling well, and it was the end of a long week for you. From a human perspective, it was totally understandable. However, from God's perspective, it wasn't very kind or loving how you reacted to Angela. You may have already taken care of this with Angela, but if you haven't, I think you should. I'm personally really bad at apologizing to someone about something I've done. If I let time pass and don't do it right away. But I've learned how powerful and relationally mending that can be. Regardless of where you're at with that side of things, I also want to remind you of the grace and forgiveness that that, that God gives. I'm not ordained or anything. But as a friend, I'd like to extend that forgiveness. I desperately need that. I desperately need to be forgiven of my sins. I desperately need to be called out to repent and to be offered the forgiveness that Jesus gives us in Jesus Christ. I need you guys to do that. If I don't get that from you, where am I going to get it? I'm not saying that I can't read the Bible and read about how God forgives me and pray and ask God to forgive me and experience a measure of peace knowing that God forgives. But it's much more powerful. It's much more tangible. It's much more right here, right now in my face, when a brother of Christ, whose face I momentarily don't see because I I can't see it for the face of Jesus that's right in front of me, offers me the forgiveness of Christ. I need that. And I can tell you, I can promise you that I have been much closer to Angela this week because of being called to repentance and forgiveness. I can tell you also that I'm way closer to this brother than I was last week. And we were pretty close before. And I can also promise you that I'm way closer to God Because God actually emailed me this week. He actually emailed me and offered me his forgiveness. That's what we're called to do. That's the supernatural superpower that the Holy Spirit has given each one of us. Amen.